Have y'all ever heard that saying that absolute power corrupts absolutely? Everybody heard that before? I mean, think about it, y'all. How does a man or a woman get elected to government and by the end of their term, their net worth has grown substantially? I'll tell you why. Because absolute power corrupts absolutely. You see, when human beings acquire power, they often abuse it. While this may be true with people, I'm here to tell you today, it ain't true with God. Amen? God alone has absolute power, and he only uses it in a manner that's consistent with his righteous character. Now, you've heard the story of the pastor who asked little Johnny. Y'all know little Johnny, right? We got a bunch of little Johnnies in our church, amen? But the pastor asked little Johnny the question as he was coming out of Sunday school. And here's what he said. He said, Johnny, if you can tell me one thing that God has done, then I will give you this candy bar. Without a blink, little Johnny looks back at the pastor and says, Pastor, if you can tell me one thing that God hasn't done, I'll give you a whole box of candy bars. Amen? Here's the deal. There's literally no limit to the power of God. No limit to the power of God. In the book of Revelation in chapter 19, as all of heaven is exalting God and praising our Savior Jesus, verse 6 says this, The voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters, as the sound of many thunderings, proclaims, Alleluia! The Lord omnipotent reigns. Alleluia! The Lord omnipotent reigns. Now that word omnipotent is a word that means God is all powerful. God is all powerful. And throughout that word, throughout the Bible, that word omnipotent is used to describe the incredible, great, and awesome power of God. Now, in 58 different places, the Bible tells us that God is almighty, that he is all-powerful, and that God only uses his almightiness, if that's a word, to carry out his plans and his purposes. So as we begin today's study about the power of God, let's begin with a little Bible evidence of God's power, okay? I want to begin by sharing with you four quick Bible truths about the power of God, beginning with the fact, one that you already know, is that God can do all things. God can do all things. For God, nothing is any harder than anything else. He can do all things. Now, we don't get that because for us, Lifting 100 pounds is a lot more difficult than lifting 10 pounds, right? That's our, our strength is limited. That's the scope of our strength. But last week, I shared Job. I shared it in life group this morning. Job told God, God, Lord, I know you can do everything. 
and that no purpose of yours can ever be withheld from you. Job was testifying that not only will all of God's purposes be accomplished, but that God can do all things. Now, the second truth is this. Nothing is too hard for God. In Genesis chapter 18, we read that despite their best efforts, Abraham and Sarah have been unable to have a child. Then, when they were well past childbearing age, God told Abraham that he and Sarah were going to have a son. Abraham doubted. Sarah laughed. But here's what God said. God said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Of course, the obvious answer is nothing is too hard for the Lord. And as we know, the power of God broke the laws of nature. And Sarah and Abraham gave birth to Isaac, their son, in whom they loved. Listen, friend, God can do all things and ain't nothing too hard for God. But here's the third truth. God never gets tired. Boy, I tell you what, I wish I was like God, amen. But God never gets tired. The prophet Isaiah said, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator, the ends of the earth, neither faints nor grows weary. He neither faints nor grows weary. Now, I learn a lot while I work out with weights. And one of the things that stands out in my mind as I work out with weights is this. Just because I get tired don't mean that I quit. Amen? Just because I get tired don't mean that I quit. But let me tell you something that makes me tired. What makes me tired is this thinking of all the things that God does throughout the universe. And he never faints. And he never gets weary. And he never gets tired. Whether it's parting the Red Sea or keeping the earth in orbit around the sun, God never faints. He never gets tired. He never has any less power than he had the day before. He never grows weary. But here's a fourth truth. And this one is important. Because the fourth truth about the Bible evidence of God's power is that God cannot disregard his character. God will only use his power in conjunction with his flawless character. For example, we know that God cannot lie. God cannot lie. In Titus chapter 1, in verse 2, Paul writes to Titus saying, We have the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Notice that that verse said, not would not lie, but that God cannot lie. It's outside the scope of his flawless character. Listen to me, friend. If God ever lied, even about one little thing, if he even told one little, little white lie, he would cease to be God because God cannot lie. But here's something else you need to know. God cannot deny himself. A couple of weeks ago, we heard Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, God is faithful, God cannot deny himself, right? God's character will not, it cannot be anything less than perfect. Here's a third part of God's character, and that is that God cannot be 
tempted. The half-brother of the Lord Jesus, James, wrote in his book, chapter 1, verse 13, that God cannot be tempted by evil. Now, Christians always brag on Jesus, who even while being weary, while even being so hungry, he almost starved to death, did not fall to Satan's temptations when he was in the wilderness. Y'all know the story, right? Nod your head if you know the story. All right? But let me tell you the primary reason that Jesus did not fall for Satan's temptations. It wasn't because Jesus was that strong. It wasn't that because Jesus had all this resolve. The reason why he couldn't be tempted by Satan is because Jesus is God. And God cannot be tempted. Amen? So we need to understand that he would not be God if he could be tempted. Had Jesus said yes to even one of those temptations, he could not, would not, he would cease to be God. Now, this leads me to ask a question for myself. Why then doesn't God use his power to keep me from temptation? He did it for Jesus. Why didn't he, doesn't he use his power to keep me from temptation? Well, the answer is, is because God only used his power in conjunction with his purposes. Leads me to another question. Well, isn't it one of God's purposes to keep me away from sin? Surely it is. It is, indeed. When I choose to forsake sin. When I choose to forsake sin in obedience to God. When I choose to forsake sin to glorify God. You see, it's part of God. God's designed for me to have free will. And I must choose to forsake sin. And it's the same with you and I. So, there are times when God doesn't use his power because he knows the future. There are other times when he knows he won't use his power because he knows what's best for me. So, that's a little Bible evidence of God's power. Now I want to share with you a little earthly evidence of God's power. Let me point out to you three primary categories of how God reveals his power down here. Down here on earth. The first of which is this. God's power is seen in how he creates. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul said this in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that we are without excuse. For years, the Hubble Space Telescope sent back images of the far reaches of our galaxy, the Milky Way. Well, now we have what's called the James Webb Space Telescope, and that telescope shows us images that go to the far reaches of the universe, or so we think, that shows us millions of other galaxies, some as far as 30 billion light years away, however in the world far that is, right? We don't know. But what the telescope reveals, it reveals more to us about the universe. But what it really reveals is 
that it's far bigger than we ever imagined. That it's far more complex than we ever, ever imagined. And Paul says, all that is evidence of God's power. And Genesis sums up God's power really well. You see, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible basically says, you know that galaxy some 30 billion light years away? Well, in the beginning, before that, God. In the beginning, God. And then it says, and then God said it, and it was so. That galaxy 30 billion light years away, and probably countless others way beyond it. God spoke it, and it was so. God didn't take it and shape it with his hands. No, he spoke it, and it was so. Our all-powerful God took nothing, spoke it into something, y'all. Do you feel God's power? That's incredible. And when Job foolishly argued with God, God asked Job, he said, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Amen? And a little while later, Job just said, I better just put my hand over my mouth, right? I don't have an answer for that one, amen? Here's what one scientist said. One scientist said, the same God who created a ring 100,000 miles around Saturn is the same God who created the DNA of the human brain cell. God's power spoke the macrocosm into being. But the same God spoke the microcosm of the human cell into being. That's the power of God. That's God's power in creation. But God's power is also seen in how he sustains what he creates. What would happen if God just took his hands off the planet Earth and allowed it to sustain itself? Man, the Earth would end up past Jupiter somewhere. I mean, it would just fly off. I mean, it would fly off and careen into some crazy orbit somewhere else. God's universe was never meant to survive. It was never meant to be maintained without him sustaining it, without him restoring it throughout the ages. In Psalm 104, the psalmist says, the same God who created all things is the same God who keeps them and holds them together. Listen to what the psalmist says. You, Lord, who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, and at your rebuke they fled. At the voice of your thunder they hastened away. They went up over the mountains and went down into the valleys to the place which you founded for them. You have set a boundary that they may not pass over and they may not return to cover the earth. What God creates, God sustains. But here's another way that God's power has been seen down here. God's power was seen when he resurrected Jesus Christ. Without a doubt, in my mind, the most miraculous, most powerful demonstration of the power of God was when he resurrected his only begotten son, Jesus, who was dead from the grave. Here's how Paul put it in Ephesians chapter 1, 
He said, and what is the exceeding greatness of God's power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, listen, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. That's God's power being manifested. Friend, if you could choose any kind of power, what would you choose? Would you choose the power of healing? Would you choose the power of finding a cure for cancer? Would you choose the power of an earthquake? Would you use the power that God used when he created everything that we know? What would you use? As almighty as all those are, there is one that Paul desired the most. And he said that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Can you imagine knowing the power of the resurrection of Christ? I cannot begin to fathom it. Christ's resurrection, friend, is the ultimate manifestation of the power of God. It's amazing. So having heard that biblical evidence and just a little glimpse of earthly evidence of God's power, only one really remains. And that is the personal evidence of God's power. Now, I could share for weeks about the power of God, but the boys on the back row said, hey, Brother Bill, we need to make this one snappy. We're ready to go. Amen? So I told him, I said, that cost you five minutes. But I could share for weeks about the power of God, but the most important point that I could make about God's power is how God's power should impact your life. You see, God's power should impact how you worship God. God's power should impact how you worship God. The most unique feature of God's omnipotent power is we get lost trying to grab hold of it. We can't get it. We can't comprehend the power of God. When we consider God's power, we're unable to comprehend it. We're unable to understand what God's power has done or what it can do. And when the believer comes to something that he cannot understand, the only adequate response is for you and I to fall on our knees in worship of our all-powerful, omnipotent God. When we can't comprehend why something is so, we simply must take it by faith and we simply must believe as God has revealed it in the Bible and as God has revealed it throughout history. You see, we don't have to get it all. We don't have to understand everything in order to worship God. Matter of fact, think about this. After witnessing the parting of the Red Sea. After witnessing God destroy every single Egyptian soldier, Moses sang, Who is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, O Lord? In glorious holiness, 
fearful in praises and doing countless wonders. Friend, listen to me. If you never experience God doing things beyond your understanding, what kind of God is he? If God doesn't do things beyond your comprehension, what kind of God do you worship? When you don't get it, you just worship him. But God's power should also impact not only our worship of God, but it should also impact our walk with God. The Bible teaches that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you and me. It's alive in us. It's working in us. Furthermore, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 6.14 saying, God both raised up the Lord Jesus and will also raise us up one day. That should be good news. We should be hooting and hollering about that one. Amen. So we've been raised spiritually now. And one day we're going to be raised literally. Raised literally by the power of God when Jesus Christ comes back to get us. That should be good news for us. But sadly, many times in my life, I've resorted to human power in my walk with God. Many times in my life, there have been times when I haven't lived my Christian life in the power of God. Most times, I, if I'm honest, I have to just tell you, I try to live my Christian life in human terms, in human power. And you can probably do that for a little bit. You can probably do it for a little while until some kind of trouble comes your way. You can do it for a little while until adversity hits or suffering begins. And then you're going to need something far greater than human power. Friend, listen to me. You're going to need the power of God. When your doctor finds something in your test results, you're going to need the power of God. When your diagnosis says there is no cure, you're going to need the power of God. When you get a pink slip after working 25 years at the same job, you're going to need the power of God. When you get that phone call at 1 o'clock in the morning telling you that your child has been injured in a car accident, you're going to need the power of God. There's probably an infinite number of life events that are going to require more than human power. And when those events happen, and happen they will, you're going to need something stronger than your own strength. You're going to need the power of God. And most of us just don't tap into the power of God. We don't tap into God's power until we've reached the end of our own power. And then we realize that when we're weak, God is strong. When we're weak, 
God is strong. And when it came to redeeming people, sinful people, sinful human beings from the penalty of sin, God stepped into history. And God provided what you and I needed the most. A Savior. A Savior. Who is Christ the Lord. Friend, whatever you do, don't you try to make it to heaven in your own power. It doesn't happen. It does not happen. However, you can make it through God's power. You know, God's power that demonstrated his love toward you and that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. That power, that's what we're going to need in order to get us to that glorious place called heaven. And I don't know about you, but I got some people I want to see there. And I prefer sooner than later, but I trust God. Do you trust God? Do you trust God with not only your life on earth, but your eternal life in heaven or not? Who, whose power are you trusting? That's your question today. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for the revelation of your incredible omnipotent power. And Lord, I thank you that on more than one occasion, it's been your power that has carried me through. Lord, on more than one occasion, it's been your power that has carried one of my brothers and sisters through the struggles and the tragedies and the adversity in their life. But even when we're faithless, you are faithful. And your power always reigns. Father, there are some people that are here today who, if they're honest with themselves and honest with you, they're kind of trusting in their own power to get them to heaven. And that ain't happening. Your word is clear. That heaven for the sinner can only happen when we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your only begotten son, who paid the penalty for every sin, past, present, and future that humanity had ever committed. But we must receive that gift. So, Father, I pray that every person here today would ask themselves this incredible question. Who am I trusting for my salvation? Myself, which don't work, or the power of God, which I know will get me there. Father, if there's a decision that needs to be made today, somebody that wants to be saved from sin, somebody wants to be assured that they're going to heaven, Lord, let this day be their day. Lord, give them the courage and the faith to take one step of faith out into the aisle. Lord, you'll take the rest of the steps of faith up to the front. And Lord, we'll pray. And I'll show them what your word says about how they can be saved from the penalty of sin and how heaven can be their eternal home. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said.